everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm your host, Eric Quanstrom, the CMO at Science. Today's guest, nothing but stories. We've got Mark Carpenter. And how can you not love to interview somebody whose title is chief storyteller? I mean, come on, like, does it get any better than that? It doesn't actually. And I can't wait for you to get to this interview because we span the gamut. In fact, Mark's got a new book out called Master Storytelling, of course. And he goes into a ton of kind of like some really interesting research on the brain chemistry of, that stories activate in human beings. So you're going to want to listen for that. He applies a lot of our thinking to the sales profession, especially even SDRs, I think are going to get a ton out of this particular interview. And Mark's been around the block um, as a professional facilitator. He is a, a consultant now and has been for mindset leadership for the last uh, decade. He's been an adjunct, adjunct professor um, at places like BYU. So this is a, a guy that, I mean, you'll get the gravitas right away and you'll really get a feel for um, someone who knows their stuff. I, I find authors are really like this when it comes to subject matter expertise. And boy, oh boy, did I have fun with this lively conversation where we just kind of walk through storytelling A to Z. So without further ado, here is Mark Carpenter. Enjoy. And we're back with Mark Carpenter. And Mark, you know, you've, you've got a book out um, called Master Storytelling, which, you know, feel free, plug away. Like, I think that this is something that um, stories are, are as old as, as frankly, humans. <laughs> and so something that we can all benefit from, but I'm really curious to kind of like start on the Genesis side for you anyways, around how did you get into writing a book about storytelling? Yeah. Where in the world did this come from? Yeah. And you're right. I love your point that you just made there that storytelling is as old as mankind. Yeah. This is how we communicated with each other. This is how we established our tribes, a friend or foe. It was through that story and the way we communicated. And I grew up kind of just in, involved in stories. I, my mom was a reading teacher, so we always had books around the house. And so I was always reading things. And then as a kid, I found it as a way just to kind of get attention, to tell the stories, tell the jokes. And that, that was my attention-grabbing thing. I, I, I grew up, well, I got older anyway. I don't know that I've yet grown up. But I got into college and majored in communications and started a career in public relations. And what is that about other than just communicating the story of your organization to its very public, various publics, internal yeah. and external? And I transitioned from there into a career in facilitation and corporate facilitation. And when you're teaching concepts, what's the best way to teach? It's, it's to make it relatable and stories are a great way to do that. And so kind of that's the, the super quick background of about 50 years worth. <laughs> and then about six years ago, I, I helped a friend uh, write a book. I kind of ghost wrote the book for him. And I was talking to my wife after that project was done and said, I want to write my own book, but I, I don't know what my topic is. And she looked at me and said, oh, I know. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? How, how can you know if I don't know? 
And she said, you need to write a book about how you take everyday experiences from life and you turn them into teaching moments. And my first reaction was, there's not a book there. That's just something people do. And her response was, no, you do it. And you've done it for a long time. But other people need to know how you do that. And so that yeah. actually made me really think about what is my process? What, why am I doing that? And why is that effective for me? And then I paired up with my, my good friend, Daryl Harmon, and he and I co-authored this book and created a workshop around it. And the, the subtitle is How to Turn Your Experiences into Stories that Teach, Lead, and Inspire. If we had to do it over again, I would include sell in there, teach, lead, sell, and inspire, because that's what we talk about all the time now. And we talk about in the book, using it in sales, but we didn't emphasize it as much as I would now, because that's one of the audiences that this has resonated with better than probably any other audience is that sales audience. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I'd love to kind of also focus on the title for a second, because um, the other big word that's at the top is the word master. And I think that um, mastery of any any discipline of any kind of concept um, that's at the heart of being a good storyteller, isn't it? Yeah. And really you're right. It's the heart of any skill, Eric, like you said, it, and it takes time to develop. I mean, you've got a lot of great experienced sales professionals that are listening in here, but the first time they tried selling, they probably weren't as good at it as they are now. And it's the same with storytelling. It takes time to develop. And even though I'd done that all my life, when I got into the book and we started doing the research around why storytelling works and how it works and how you can be more effective with it, it made me much more intentional in the way that I tell stories and use storytelling to teach, lead, sell, and inspire. And so that's where the mastery comes in, is understanding the background and then practicing it, working it, applying it in your life until that you build that muscle memory and that skill around how to do it. Same with any other skill. Storytelling is a skill that you can build. You know, what's funny too, is I would think that the average person on the street, um, golden lariat of truth around their waist, um, would actually find practicing storytelling to be very counterintuitive, to be very not what I think most people think of to becoming a great storyteller. In fact, yeah, I think I, most people think you're either born with it or not. Right. Right. And, and, and that's, that's a myth I like to debunk because, it, it, like I just said, it's a skill. And it's a skill that can be developed. And the people who think, well, you either have it or you don't, they're the ones that aren't being very intentional about how to use storytelling. They're thinking it's a party trick or it's just what you do around the dinner table. But that's not the kind of stories we're talking about. I'm talking about taking real life experiences and converting them, translating them into an effectively told story that has a purpose, that has an intent. And that intent that we go to is teach, lead, sell, and inspire. And so from a, from a sales standpoint, you, you don't wanna get on with a, with a prospect and just start telling stories just to be fun. They're gonna feel like, hey, you're wasting my time. Right. When you understand their needs, could you tell a story of a similar client who overcame the kind of problem they're facing with the service or product that you have to offer? And that story is has much more connective tissue than just saying, oh, here, we solve your problem with this product. Here's the features, the benefits, the pack. It's also the way the human brain is, is best kind of like primed to receive those types of messages too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to the evolutionary point that you made, that 
that we as human beings, this is how we connect as a species. Now, there's a lot more research nowadays that shows why that is true. Um, we, we tap into the research of Dr. Paul Zak a lot, who talks about three chemical changes that happens inside your brain when you hear an effectively told story. You get an increase of oxytocin, cortisol, and dopamine. Oxytocin comes in when you hear a story that you can relate to, you can relate to the characters and the goals that they're trying to go to. And oxytocin is known as the trust hormone. Mm. As the impact of building that relationship between two people who may have been strangers moments ago. But because we got that story going and you can relate to my experience, all of a sudden you start connecting with me a little bit. Yeah. And then cortisol is introduced when you introduce some kind of risk into that story. The goal that these characters have uh, is at risk. Something gets in the way. There's an inciting incident. And the effect of cortisol in the brain is it heightens your attention. Now, a little cortisol is good. A lot of cortisol is bad. Uh, a lot of cortisol will stress you out. But a little cortisol makes you go, ooh, what's going to happen? What's going on here? And it really gets you to pay attention. So listeners, as you're listening to this, Think about people that you talk to. Would you like them to pay more attention to you? <laughs> That's how storytelling is a great way to do it. And, and then dopamine is the third one that Dr. Zach identified, which is a neurotransmitter that you get at the end of the story when there's a satisfactory resolution or a lesson learned. And dopamine is the thing you get when you, when you take that first little bite of chocolate, Okay. Or when you check something off your to-do list or you finish a project and it's a sense of accomplishment, it's a sense of ah, relief and completeness. So when you get that effective ending to a story where there's a lesson that people go, ah, yeah, I was in that situation. I, I could have done that too. Or, wow, they made that mistake, but now I know how to overcome that mistake. And those are the things that, that connect us as people so there's some chemical reaction that's going on that, that actually make that very real. That's a great kind of like, let the science guide kind of the elements, if you will, in a great story, right? So trust, risk, and lessons learned, you know, <laughs> like those, those should be elements of any, any interesting story or relevant story, if I were to choose another word. Yeah, or, and, and I would even add effective story. Yeah, in fact, because that's the stories even we're talking about are stories that have some effect on people. They're right. not just interesting. They're not just a movie that you walk out of and go, oh, that was really good. I feel really good. It's a feel-good story. I feel happy here at the end, or it was exciting and entertaining. But there's a change that you want to happen there at the end. You want to, people to change the way that they're thinking, maybe change the way that they're behaving. And so that's the intentionality that gets into the kind of story that we're talking about. So let, let's kind of even go off on a, a little tangent of, of practical application of this. If I'm a person thinking about, you know, kind of like constructing talk tracks, what I'm going to say when I'm on a, a cold call, what I might put into an email or a LinkedIn message, what are some of those? I mean, obviously, we would want to have those three ingredients um, so that we can address kind of like the oxytocin, cortisol and dopamine kind of like. <laughs> parts of our brain. Yeah. Um, what else? How do I, how should I think about that um, as I'm building kind of like these playbooks? Well, there's two things you need to know up front if your story is going to have impact. Number one, you need to know your audience. Yep. 
And, and, and that's, a, that's a very standard sales thing. Know who you're talking to. Know, know that customer. Know who that persona is. And so you know their needs. You know what they care about. Because you can't make that connection with them unless you know what they care about. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing that has to come in. The second thing is understanding what is the point that I'm trying to make here? What, what, what's my end game here? What is the lesson learned there at the end? that's going to have the impact on people that, that I want it to have. This is the mistake that I see people make a lot is they say, oh, I've got this really great experience. I'll share this with my customer. But when it comes to the end of the experience, they aren't sure what the lesson was that they were trying to convey. Yeah. And so it doesn't land. It doesn't have the impact that we want. And it doesn't tap into that chemical reaction that we were just talking about. You know what else I think? Um, tell me if you agree with this statement. I think that you hit on a really uh, salient point in talking about the point. And I think too many times we want to rush to judgment. We want to rush to an impact. We want to tell a customer story of, of our best customer that's so happy with us and over the moon. And like, and the, the prospect or the person hearing that, like, that's too much too soon. Yeah. And, and, and I think that really effective prospecting, really effective sales development, um, your goal should be less lofty. Didn't they? The point should really just be, isn't this worth your time to explore more? Isn't this worth the next conversation? Isn't this something that, you know, like whether there's curiosity or mystery or something along those lines involved that is going to pull the other person, the, again, the object of your profession, the prospect forward? Yeah. Just that next interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're right on. A absolutely right on. And again, this is about building relationships. It's yeah. about building that that's, and strengthening that relationship. One of the ways that I encourage uh, sales professionals to use storytelling is in overcoming objections. You, know, you, you think about that. Somebody has an objection like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Eric. What, what's one of the standard kind of common objections that, that people hear when they're, when they're trying to get people to even move forward to consider their product or service more? Well, the most common one is not interested <laughs> like they're they're sensing where this car call or conversation is going, and they just want to shut it down and and kind of either get off the phone, do whatever. It's the garden variety not interested. Probably followed closely behind by yeah, already have that, already doing that, already have a vendor in place. You know. Yeah, and so so that's a that's a great example, P particularly one about yeah, I've, I've I've already got that. That's a great time to say yeah, you know what? I just talked to somebody yesterday who said the same thing, but. They, they actually took just a minute with me to explore this. And they found out that what they thought was the same as what we're offering is not the same as we're offering. And as a result, they had their eyes open to some pieces that were missing in, in their delivery. Now, I'm kind of generalizing here because I'm sure. not on a specific product or service. But you, you can make that connection to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear that objection. I, I, I know what you're talking about. And here's an example of how that objection could be overcome or was maybe not as valid as you think it is. Yeah. And so you, and, and you can do it fairly quickly. We're not talking about creating a two hour epic movie. Right. We're, 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 we're talking about, you know, a 30 to 90 second to maybe two and a half, three minute story to help them understand the connection yeah. between what I'm talking about, who you are. And it's not just what you want, but it's who you are. And, and that's, that's the knowing your audience part of it too, is you really need to know who they are and what they care about. Well, and I think, you know, tell me if you agree with this too. 
part of that number one of knowing your audience is that you should know what that number one, two, three objections are. And, you know, at least something that we kind of teach and train on here at Science <clears throat> with our own, you know, kind of like SDRs and, and Salesforce is get to that objection first, right? Be the first one to acknowledge that um, somebody might already have a, a solution in place in in an, a market where that's very likely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then the, the other objection I get a lot of times from people is, well, but what if I don't have a good experience to help counter that objection? Well, my answer is, I'll bet somebody that you work with has. Yeah. I'll bet somebody you work with has had an experience that you can turn into that story. So talk to each other, share these ideas, share these experiences, and even share how would I craft that into a really simple story that resonates with the prospects that I'm talking to. Right. Yeah, that's a great idea. Almost crowdsource, you know, kind of like the, the stories. Yeah. Um, because that's also a great way of practicing too and, and stress testing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the, the subtitle of the book is how to turn your experiences into stories that teach, lead, and inspire. But we pitch in there all the time. You can borrow other people's stories too. You don't have to have every experience in the world to be able to share it with people. You can borrow their stories and it still has the same impact if it's told well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now <clears throat> That's a really interesting point too, because I think a lot of people think that to be authentic and real, they always want to have like total ownership over a, a story, but that's not necessarily the case, is it? No. I, how many times have you retold somebody else's joke or somebody else's story? We, 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 do, we do this all the all time. time. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that you plagiarize it and, and make it your own. Right. You can say, hey, my friend Eric had this experience and I can share it as your experience. And that's okay because it still has that impact because it's a, a real experience about a real person. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess one of the words that pops immediately to mind and having that kind of perspective is you're curating, like you're a curator of potentially other people's stories. I mean, this is kind of what the, the news is laid bare, right? Like <laughs> here's what happened in the world today, according to us. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for adding according to us, because right. that, that's in a lot of ways, that's what our stories are too. Yeah. They're kind of according to us because it, it, we need to look at it and say, what is the lesson learned there? Yeah. And, and, and so get used. I love the way you use the word curating too, but you want to kind of curate your own collection of these experiences that can be turned into stories and don't, don't trust your brain to remember them all. Write them down. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have a file folder full of stories, an electronic file folder full of these stories and, and capture them. I even have moments that I've captured that will give me just kind of an aha or like an emotional reaction to something. And I'll go, hmm, that was interesting. There's probably a story in there. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I capture the moment and then I'll figure out what the lesson is as the time goes on. Yeah. Ever wonder where the origin, like the word aha moment or the phrase aha moment came from? I, I, I have no idea. Me neither. But I was okay. thinking about that as you were saying it, because because it it does capture the spirit and it survived, I think, at least my entire life, because I, I heard it as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, but it is that feeling of like, oh, when somebody has a light bulb moment, an aha moment, it's something everyone in the world can relate to. And, and one of the ways that I'd like to describe that is you've had an emotional reaction to something. Yeah. And, and that emotional reaction may be 
oh, I'm surprised by this. I'm surprised this happened. Or it may be, gosh, I'm curious as to why that happened. <laughs> I've had a couple experiences where people reacted in certain ways that I went, ooh, that was weird. I, I, I would never have reacted like that. Why did they react that way? And so th that gets me thinking about what happened in that moment. What do we learn from that? It yeah. could be in a, a reaction of joy or sorrow or anger or frustration. But when you have an emotional reaction to something, it's because there's something that you're learning there. Yeah. And so what's that teaching point that you can have in there that you could then convert into a story that becomes a teaching moment for, moment for other people too? That's really strong and, and, and frankly, good advice because when, when you start to contextualize and understand why anything happens, maybe even deconstruct it, um, we're already like well down the path of not just reuse, but like mastery <laughs> of that. Yeah. yeah. And, and effective use, use with, like we've been talking about, intentionality with, with a purpose that I'm trying to actually make a, a, a good salient point. Yeah. The other thing that, that occurs to me, especially in direct response, you know, sales situations is the human brain is also taught to block a lot of messaging or discount it is maybe a better way of putting it. Um, as a marketer, I know this all too well with feature benefit mes messaging and why do stories, why are those the keys that unlock the, the doors in such a better way than normal business speak? Yeah. I, I, I wish I could cite this research exactly off the top of my head, and I can't. But there was a research study that was done that was shown what parts of your brain are engaged when you're getting different types of information. You're getting it in, in, in different ways. And so they put people on functional MRIs, and they, they gave them things like data and charts. And so the, the visual and the audio portions of your brain start, start coming in. But when they start telling the information to people in the form of a story, it taps into their memories. Mm. Because what, what are they, what, when you hear a story, what's the first thing you start to do? You start thinking about when was a time that that happened, something like that happened to me. Yeah. And so it taps into the memory function and the decision-making function and the, and the emotional functioning of your brain. So what they pointed out was that when you share information, you're tapping into two or three different centers of the brain. When you're sharing a story, you're tapping into five to seven portions of the brain. And so it's, it's not a fair fight. <laughs> I'll take <laughs> that map. If you look at it that way, that you are really tapping into more of the listener's brain. You're making them engage on a different level than when they're just getting information. Now, one of the pushbacks I typically get here is, well, you can't expect me as a sales professional to not share information. I've got to share features and benefits and pricing and facts and figures. And it's like, sure, but put them in context. Yeah. Put them in context with the story. And then you've doubled up the capacity of that person to remember what they're hearing from you. There was another research study that showed that when people heard things in the form of the story, not only did they remember it better and remember it more accurately. So they remembered more of the information. They remember it more accurately. They also found the information more credible. Yeah. And we think that by showing charts and figures and data, that that's going to boost our credibility with people. But it's actually making the connection to them as human beings that becomes more credible. Boy, oh boy. You need only live in the United States for the last five years to know that 
stories carry way more credibility than facts and science um, with the vast majority of people. I don't know if that's something to lament or not. (laughs) Well, it's something to learn from. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll go back to the point of kind of the emotional reactions that we have. What do you learn from that? Yeah. And, and, And so it's also important to make sure that your story is backed up by the data and the facts and the figures. I mean, you, if you tell this wonderful success of something that was a total anomaly of how somebody used your product and service, and it doesn't really bear out with the, the data around the product or service, it's just still going to raise some questions in people's minds. Or at the very least, it's going to give you an unsatisfied customer. Yeah. Because they're not going to be able to get that experience that, that you've shared. And so you've got to have the combination of both of them there. But the story is one that has the emotional impact excuse me. And so it makes it sticky, makes it sticky with people. Well, and you said it earlier, and maybe we can even kind of like unpack this further. Great stories, like they really do have that risk component. So like not all stories have to be kind of up as we we would say in this business world, up into the right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like there could be an appreciation for failing before succeeding for making mistakes before, you know, making a good decision for like screwing something up before getting it right. Absolutely. Some of the most powerful stories are the lesson learned stories that I I did this and it didn't go well. And sometimes even in those stories, I get to that conclusion point where it's like, and this went wrong. And then I'll just ask people, what could I have done differently there to have made that go right? Then all of a sudden they're into, oh, you missed this component of it. Yeah. So think about this in in a sales training standpoint, from a sales leadership standpoint. If you're talking to your sales professionals that are maybe trying to develop them, get better habits, better conversations out of them, you know, tell them about a time where you stumbled a little bit and say, what could I have done differently? And as they're processing that information, they're learning this is what I should do. And so those yeah. lesson learned stories, I think, are very, very powerful. You know what's funny about that? One of the best pieces of advice that I've I've passed from others, so not original thought here, um, around handling of objections. If you just have a crash and burn cold call, like one of the best um, techniques to use at the end of that call is, you know, I bet you get a, a million of these calls every day, Mr. Prospect, and and um, and clearly this didn't go the way that I thought it could have. Um, what could I have done different? Yeah. And literally just like, let it kind of like, go ahead and critique me. <laughs> yeah. And, and think about what just happened. What just happens when you do that? All of a sudden, you're not a sales professional and a prospect talking. You're two people talking. And there's a difference. I I, I talk about that as treating each other like people, not positions. Yeah. And and the more that we can treat each other like people, the more connected we're going to be. And and that's what, not just sales, but business of all kinds, you know, internal leadership. It's about connecting as people. And so I say storytelling is a component of leading like a person, not a position. Yeah. Because it creates that humanity and that human connection between us. It's an exceptionally hard thing to do too, because it requires sublimating the ego oh, yeah. um, and, and ultimately being open to actually receiving feedback 
which I find to be super hard for a lot of people. Well, it's also something that's not taught intentionally very well. That's for sure. I mean, what, what do we teach people, particularly as we go into leadership positions? We put people in, we promote the very best sales professional into leading the sales team. Mm-hmm. And then we tell them, okay, here's how, how all the systems run. Here's how all the processes run. Here's the goals that you need to make. Here's how you need to set goals with your team. Here's all this process stuff. We teach them all this stuff about their position, but we don't teach them how to be people. Yeah. We just kind of assume that that's going to be there. And leading like a person takes some intentionality to do. And so I think we need to teach these skills more into leadership so that we get more leaders that are leading like people, not like positions. Well, and, and, and given your deep experience as a facilitator and you know, kind of coach, what are some of the ways that, that you impart wisdom on people to help them, frankly, teach to be better people? Well, it, it's being intentional. It, it, a lot of it comes down to that intentionality. And yeah. of saying, okay, where can I teach this as, as, as a story, which is going to just, it takes intentionality to do that. The other thing I, I pitch all the time is you got to listen more intently. Because if you listen intently, it goes back to what we we're talking about that you needed before you can tell an effective story. You've got to understand the people that you're talking to. Well, what's the best way to do that? Listen very intently. You, and ask good questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and not just ask good questions because a lot of times people will ask questions and they go, okay, there's, there's my check. I check. I asked that question. And then they're thinking about the next question they should ask. And they forget to listen intently after they ask the question. Yes. And, and so that, that's a skill also that just takes time, muscle memory to develop. I call it a happy habit. And especially when, when you're learning about a given, you know, kind of, again, back to the form, formidable or, or familiar um, cold call, if you will, but learning about the, the prospect that you're talking to and their current reality, their current status quo, like it's so important to just questions that you ask, follow up with normal human, oh, why'd you do that? Why is that that way? How'd yeah. you get there? You know, like just two people talking as opposed to, yeah, <laughs> pitching is yeah. really the, the, the yeah. unsavory it, it, alternative. It, it's really funny. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the author of the book. I know this stuff. I teach this to people all the time. But I even get on with prospect. And I get into, oh, here, let's just solve your problem with, with this tool, with this solution here. Yeah. And I, and I, and I lose track of that, partially because I get excited about it. And partially because that's kind of what we've been raised with is that the way things get done. Yeah. Well, and, and what you're embracing there is a, is kind of a me to the world orientation as opposed to you and me (laughs) to the world. Yeah. Conversation. I I love that perspective, Eric, you're right on because then, then it's about, it's about positions again. Yeah. It's about me as the expert in this product, disseminating information and, pushing you a direction as a prospect over here, rather than let's as two people, how are we going to work this together to mutually create a solution that, that we both love? You know, I, I have another metaphor. Tell me if this works for you. Um, but I call it same side of the table, where if you picture two people sitting across from one another at a table, the natural stance is actually defensive, you know, kind of like full frontal in some cultures, 
like, you know, staring into people's eyes is actually very like puts everyone on the defensive versus if I'm sitting next to you and we're two people staring at the same thing, potentially a problem, potentially a need that you might have, potentially like a goal of yours. All of a sudden, that posture changes everything that we might share story-wise, doesn't it? I I love it. I I think that's a a great way to look at that. I I think that's a great analogy to to, and a visual for how we look at how we're relating to other people, because it shouldn't be me versus you in this. It should be us versus the problem. Yes. How are we going to solve this problem together? And that's a completely different perspective. As you were sharing that, Eric, I had this thought that in the world that we're in right now, where so much of what we do is virtual, it's hard to take that physical stance, to change that physical stance. Because how are we looking at each other? We're straight on with each other in that kind of power position. And it would be weird and awkward for both of us to sit and kind of talk this way to each other because we can't, I can't see you over here to my side. Yeah. But but it's it, it's really interesting that the world is kind of designed to set us up for a more confrontational or adversarial position. So I keep using this word, but it goes back to the intentionality. You yeah. have to intentionally do things to get past that more confrontational stance that you're almost forced into. Yeah, it's funny. Um, and this may be a tangent. I don't know how interesting it'll be to the audience, but I actually have thought a lot about that since the advent of the pandemic. and since a lot of our you know companies ours included have gone kind of remote first work from home and zoom and google meets and teams and everything else has become just a real way of life um interestingly enough when we are sharing screen or presenting something um and having a qa around that that's actually a pretty good metaphor for same side of the table because yeah. then we're staring at the exact same thing together in a virtual environment. Yeah. We're not looking at each other. We're looking at something side by side. Right. We're, we're seeing it together. Which yeah. is a, an impossibility for most starting of a sales conversation. Um, God, I wish I could figure out how to like work that into the mix because I think it would be really effective. But <laughs> well, if you but find it, a way, you've got a great story to tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Touche. Um, <laughs> But in, in the rest of a sales cycle, you know, where we have planned, you know, kind of whatever it's discovery meeting or, you know, kind of like negotiation, getting to fit, what have you, um, all the way through like a close one or close loss deal. This to me feels like valuable time where deep thought and the stories that could be told around kind of like the sales. What is sales, if not sense making on behalf of the buyer? You know, well, and, and, and that's what stories are. Stories are sense-making. It's, it's really funny that you say that because I don't think that you've read our book yet, but we use that phrase in there. Yeah. That stories are sense-making. It's how we make sense of the world. So kind of continuing down the same path, we're on a discovery call and I've got some information on the screen in front of you. Yeah, you're looking at that data, but what if I told you the story about what that information means to you? And now it's not just information, but I'm making sense of it because I'm applying it into my life through the, through the transition of your story. Yeah. I, I think that I've had a lot of feedback that those are really effective moments intra-company um, yeah. for 
recipients of, of stories attached to visuals that, you know, whether they're presenting data, presenting problems, presenting new concepts and ideas um, going forward. Yeah, right on. It, there, there's, there's just great power in there. I think sometimes people look at storytelling and they go, oh, well, that's too light and fluffy. I'm a serious sales professional. I'm a serious business leader. And it's like, well, if you're a serious anything, you need to embrace stories because that's seriously how we connect. Yeah, <laughs> it seriously is. <laughs> I wonder where that like false archetype comes from. I just think it's an old carryover from back in kind of industrial revolution age where it was you had, you, you did have people leading by position and not yeah. like people. And it was very much a hierarchical structure. And even a sales thing was very much a hierarchical structure. I have something you need. I am the one that's, that should be in control of this. And I, I don't know how it's persisted so long, but I really do think it's just a carryover from old ways of work that we haven't completely shaken free from. I think but, you're dead is, on. It, and, it, and it takes effort. It takes effort to change that. It's easy to read off my list of facts and figures. It's easy to read off my price sheet and my list of features. It's harder to really think about, okay, what does this mean to them? Yeah. And what's an experience I can draw on that shows how this connects us as people? I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll say this. I think that the, that vestige, I, I've got a few years under me, so, you know, um, not new to the business world. <clears throat> I think that I've seen tremendous changes in sales cycles both that I've been a part of, that I've been on the buy side of, that that I've just witnessed, I see that carryover. And one of the, the reasons for it too is there used to be a lot more information asymmetry in any sales cycle than there is these days. In fact, arguably we've, we've flipped the pendulum where <laughs> anything that I can buy, even in a B2B kind of context, I can research to the high heavens. I can go to the internet and like, Boy, oh boy, Google's my friend and, and generative AI is like even better for doing that kind of like sense making. Yeah, right, right on. And so we have to stay ahead of that. We have to stay ahead of that. And, and, and I think that, again, the more relatable that we are, the yeah. more we're going to stay ahead of that. Because even with all that data, with all that information that's out there, and even in business to business situations, people buy from people that they know, trust, and like. Yep. And so if they, if, if an organization or one of your key prospects has researched a ton of things on the internet, but you come in and you're relatable to them, again, they're going to trust you more. They're going to like you more. And even if you can't beat the competition on, on feature and, and benefit and price, you're going to beat them on relationship and people yeah. will buy from you. You know, I actually think that the sales profession is ever, because of all these realities, is even more important today than Great. it's ever been in the past. Totally agree with that. Largely because I think that the, the activities you were just describing are kind of like to abuse this phrase and just keep on using it. Sense-making is a critical role to play in information abundance. Yep. Yeah, right on. Right on. You can get a ton of information. I mean, how many times have you gone to a, a company's website? So you're trying to understand this organization that you're going to go talk to. 
and you read through their website and you go, what do you I do? kind of think I know what they do, yeah. but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And then you actually start talking to the people and you go, oh yeah, that's totally different than what I got off of your website. But we put these websites out there. We think we're really clear about what it is we do, but we, we're required to have that people interaction to really make sense of things. We get a lot of good information on, on the internet. But the sense making, I think, comes from people. Well, you know, marketers ruin everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm talking about, you know, my folks here. Um, but we do sometimes. Sometimes we love our use of acronyms and we yeah. love our use of features and we love, we're very high on our own supply, so to speak, around, yeah. you know, well, our and products and services. There's a great book called Made to Stick. Uh, oh, yeah. Chip, uh, Chip and Dan Heath, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they use the phrase in there, the curse of knowledge. Yeah. Which is, well, I know this and it's just so automatically intuitive to me. Doesn't everybody else know this? Everybody should. And so we, we position things with that curse of knowledge. Right. And, and, and that's something to watch for, even as you're telling stories. Yeah. Because you mentioned acronyms or terminology that we use inside. But you got to really know your audience and say, do, do they know what that means? Don't yeah. assume that they do. And so take the things out that could get in the way of making that connection because they're sitting there listening to your story and going, okay, what is that acronym? Or yeah. what does that phrase mean? And then all of a sudden you've lost them in the story and you're not having the impact that you have. I think that that's a really relevant check to have on both sales and marketing. Because um, here's the other thing. It, it, it requires kind of sublimating one's ego and saying, hey, I, I don't want to pander, but I do need to make sure that I speak and talk and relate in a way that is, is able to be understood. Right. Right. Because we, we're not going to connect with each other as people if, if, we, if we don't have that. Right. I'll, I'll go back to what we started with, kind of the evolutionary aspect of storytelling. We're ancient man, and I'm looking for a new place to live because the water just ran out in the, the creek that I used to live by. And I go someplace else and run into other people, but they don't speak the same language that I do. We don't trust each other very well. Yeah. Because we're set up as different. Now, we may be both speaking English here, but if I'm talking to you in acronyms and terminology that you don't understand, it feels like a different language that separates us rather than connecting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately, it is that connection that, that leads to any opportunity going forward. Yeah, that goes that's the, back to that no trust and like uh, idea that the people will buy from those that they know, trust and like. So true. So true. Well, Mark, this has been kind of a tour de force conversation. We we went like all over the place in a good way, in my opinion. Um, thank you. This has been great. No, thank you. I've really enjoyed this too. And, and yeah, you're talking about, okay, we kind of went all over the place, but that's what made it fun, <laughs> at least for me. I hope it was as fun for your listeners because Eric and I are here having a good time. <laughs> I'll make sure I get the feedback and then um, kind of like pass it forward. At any rate, for those of our listeners that would want to find out more about you, more about the book, um, where should they go? First place to start is our website, master-storytelling.com. And you, can, and you can find out all the things that we say on our website that you won't understand because we were just talking about websites doing that. Um, but there's a request information section on there that you can connect with me to. Um, 
Uh, I also have links on there to some free resources that you can get that'll point you to the book. You can also look me up on LinkedIn. Um, and so look for Mark Carpenter. There's a bunch of Mark Carpenters out there. So look for the one that has that master storytelling book uh, over my shoulder or in the, in the page, uh, and you'll find us there. So again, the website, master-storytelling.com. You have to have the, the dash between the master and storytelling to get to us. But there's a lot of resources there, and I would love to connect with folks and just help answer any questions that I can and, and support their growth and, and their ability to connect with people, either in the, in, the, in the sales prospecting side or in the sales leadership side. And I, I see that as a really strong place for storytelling to fit in as well. Could not agree more. Excellent. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, Eric. I'd love to have you have this time with you. You bet. <laughs>